The first thing you have to do to get to the damn point is start listening to yourself. We are a children's subscription box company that teaches kids about cultures of the world one country at a time. We built a platform that allows teachers to present their curriculum and specific assignments to kids through video games that they love. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome everybody to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about innovation, entrepreneurship, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. Tonight, Louis Cheney, who's going to help us to get to the damn point. He's a consultant, producer, director, and he helps teams get to the damn point. And after Lewis, two presenters who are just amazing. I gotta, <laughs> you got to stay tuned and listen to them too. Akila Karashi, who will help your kids learn about other countries in a very unique and very powerful way. And then Julia Rivard with PlayDreamscape.com, who has such an innovative way of teaching your children. She is changing education around the world. But before we go to our distinguished guests, time for IP in the news. So what's on the table tonight? IBM has more patents than anybody. They get more patents every year. So they have a new one. It issued on August 17, 2021. They filed it before the pandemic. So they didn't predict Zoom, but this patent seems but to be Maybe right they to knew something that we didn't know. I <laughs> don't it, know. It's possible. The title of it, in fitting with our guest tonight, is Monitoring Meeting Participation Level. And so... <laughs> 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 I, I think somebody's monitoring my participation level right now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've cooked breakfast during Zoom meetings. Well, wait a minute. With you're everything only... on mute and no video. Is that what you're doing when the screen's off? Anyway. <laughs> that's, that's why he makes everybody have their screen on during the that's right. law that, meetings. It's, it's a very unsophisticated way to monitor <laughs> participation. But in any case, I guess there is a need out there to save people from boring meetings or at least try to motivate them to stay awake as much as possible and also probably to monitor the quality of the speaker or the presentation or what have you. So they also filed it worldwide though. They filed what's called a PCT application, which means they held their place in countries around the world so that they can go file in those countries later if they decide to. It's so. truly a global issue. So. <laughs> And I guess the inventors are IBM employees. So I wonder where, <laughs> wonder where they got the idea for this one. Right? IBM managers probably <laughs> Anyway, so it's time for Richard's Roundtable. Info from our guests about what they think about this patent or any other intellectual property topic that pops into your mind. Why don't we start with Lewis? Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you very much. First of all, I keep picturing people with toothpicks in their eyes. Just so they might have been good in this thing. And, I, and I'm guessing the whole idea of, you know, putting the little shock things in the chair so they fall asleep and zap them back away was something they didn't want to go down the road for for lawsuits. But I also think about who's going to present this information. Who's going to monitor that meeting? <laughs> Who's going to monitor the monitors? Worth exactly. That's going to be the most boring meeting you've ever heard. All this stuff, but everybody slept through the meeting. It's you know, it's, it's one of those kind of things that makes me kind of question. Hmm. Who's going to look at all of that? Yeah. One thing they could consider is associating a video game with the meeting, you know, using a carrot instead of a stick, right? Who knows? Maybe somebody will be speaking to that possibility a little bit later. Akila, what are your thoughts here? Well, as a former corporate employee, I have to say that the thought of this pattern is quite terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's fabulous for some micromanaging bosses out there, terrifying for certain employees, and probably the biggest nightmare for HR. They're probably already <laughs> Can you imagine? They were so driven to do this that they not only thought of it, they spent $10,000 or $15,000 to get a patent on it. And do you think the CEOs and the management team are going to be subject to this kind of technology <laughs> monitoring? Maybe. I don't know, but it doesn't seem likely, right? And Julia, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, well, I liked your comment about it feeling like a stick and not a carrot. It feels very big brother. And I think we all need times where we check out on meetings just to be able to gather our thoughts or look out the window and doesn't mean we're not focused. So yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I am a mom of four kids and I saw them check out quite a bit during the pandemic on classroom activities with teachers. So I don't know. I'm on the fence about this, but I'm leaning towards mm, I'm not sure. I think I like it. Yeah. So, you know, sort of even publishing a 
patent about it is sort of like really putting it out there, you know, to everybody in the company. It's like, well, we have a new program, a new way to keep you engaged in your jobs. We're going to be monitoring you during meetings. So we're not only are we counting your keystrokes and your trips to the bathroom, we're also going to be monitoring your meetings. So thank you for your comments. And we'll be right back after this. This is Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're here now with our special guest this evening, Lewis Cheney, and he's a producer, director, and he talks about how to get to the damn point. So thank you, Lewis, for telling everybody out there because there's a lot of people who don't. What is your advice to people to get to the damn point? The first thing you have to do to get to the damn point is start listening to yourself. You know what it's like. When you sit in those meetings and they drag on and they're boring and all of this and you create this slideshow that you think is so fantastic, it's so wonderful, and you've got this little Dunning-Kruger thing going on where you think, yay, I'm the top up here, and you think yours is greater than theirs, but then you watch theirs and it bores you. How do you know yours is not doing that to them? You simply have to start paying attention to yourself. That's where it starts, to know I might have a problem. (laughs) And sometimes it takes somebody pointing that out to you, but you certainly need to be aware that maybe what you've got going on isn't as great as you think. So do you think people ask for feedback enough when it comes to making presentations? Because I've never had anybody ask me, how did I do? Or what did you think about the presentation? So it's kind of rare for somebody to even be aware of that, right? Oh, I agree 100%. I think that's a lot of it. You don't ask for that kind of feedback. And think about it when you're in those situations, Who's going to walk up to you, particularly if you're the boss? Who's yeah. going to walk up to the boss and go, you know, that kind of sucked. <laughs> I mean, you're not <laughs> going to be the person who can do that. You know what I mean? But there needs to be some accountability there from somebody. So even if you are the top level executive, find some people who would tell you honestly that you know would tell you honestly and get feedback from them or ask for feedback from other people. You don't have to take it all, but certainly it's better to hear it than to not hear it. So what makes something really boring? The first thing that comes to mind is the lady that we used to interview in TV news years ago. And she made sure that every word she said was perfectly pronunciated. And she would make sure that everything she said was talking like to a first grader. That was one of the people that used to drive me nuts to try to interview because it took forever to get anything out of her. And we had to cut her down. We've talked about before about people who talk like this all the time. You look like, 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 like you got to slow them down to listen to them. So those two things can be boring too. But the worst offenders I see are the people who go into these meetings and they will pop up an hour long presentation, either virtually or in person. And they'll have the screen and they will stand there and read every single thing that comes up. They put their entire presentation on it. And as I've told many other people, that tech is a junkyard dog. It's a matter of time before it bites you and you're going to get bit. It's not a matter of if I'm going to get bit, you're going to get bit. And if you've got your entire presentation tied up and that was your plan, what happens if that goes down? Now what's going to happen? You're going to be scrambling because you don't have everything together because you counted so much on this. And that goes back into talking about rehearsal and making sure you've got this down so that it's in your body. So when you're going through things, you make sure that your message is clear. That's really fantastic advice. That just reminds me of this funny story. When I was in grad school, one of the professors went to give this presentation at this high-level conference for him at that point. And it was in the olden days. And so he had a carousel of slides and he put his slides on the carousel and the speaker before him thought those were his slides and took them and left. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. Wow. 
this was analytical data. So it was graphs and stuff like <laughs> So anyways, he's running all over trying to figure out how to get something to present at this conference. And he, showed, he, he figured it out, but he was like, I was so sweaty. I was really embarrassing. I know I'm giving my age away here, but I, I remember those slideshows they'd show you in school when I was a kid. This is back in the days, boys and girls of wax, when it was classic wax, not the stuff they're doing now. But they had the record that would play and it would ding to change the slide. Do you guys remember these things? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it'd be like, this is so-and-so ding, and you change the slide. I'm just picturing playing that record and there's no slides. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I think about with that guy. Yeah, and I think things have gotten now where now I think the general knowledge is you should only put like three lines on a slide if you use slides at all. You should know. I think you're right. You should know enough about what you're saying that you don't have to rely on technology. Agreed. And it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be, and I don't like to give people too much of rote things they have to do because every individual is different. Every presentation style is different. Find who you are, what works best for you. But it doesn't even have to be necessarily three lines. It could be one word. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to put the three lines up, put them up so they stagger. One comes up so that you're talking about that. Don't put them all three up because then people are reading ahead of you and they're trying to see what you're going to say next. So stagger them out. But if you can substitute graphs and words and things with a picture, because a picture is worth a thousand words because, well, it is worth a thousand words. And you can put up that photo and talk about something that connects to that, that goes right into your topic. And that's a great trigger for you. If that went down and you've got that photo in your head and you know you're going to be talking about that, that's a way to remember the material because it's here. You're having a photographic memory of sorts if you want to look at it that way. But try to get away from using all of the minutia up there and let people focus on you because that's where it needs to be is the focus needs to be on you. So Lewis, you talk also about telling stories. Can you expand on that a little bit? I know that storytelling is an important part of your message. It absolutely is because I come from a background, guys, of working in television for many, many years. I've worked in TV news, entertainment news. I've worked in commercial production doing TV ads. And I've worked in independent film. Storytelling is the connective tissue of human beings. It truly, truly is. If you look around and think about this, you wouldn't have songs, you wouldn't have movies, you wouldn't have TV shows, and all sorts of other entertainment without a story. Stories are what draws people in, and you get them in those Me Too moments. And it doesn't always have to be the maudlin story. I mean, I've got tons of those. I've worked in TV news. I've seen things I can't unsee. But it doesn't always have to be that. It can be something very humorous, like in my TED Talk, talking about my son, who did the biggest April Fool's joke in the world on me. It took him months to plan. A teacher was in on it. My wife was in on it. <laughs> and I absolutely hook, line, sinker, rod, reel, boat. I ate the entire thing. And I've told my son to this day, son, I'm in a nursing home and I'm 80 years old, you know, and you get a phone call that says dad had a heart attack. Check the calendar. So, yeah. <laughs> You're going to get him back. Wanted. You are going to get him back. He's, sure. I can't, I can tell you, man, the week before the week after that kid's on the lookout, it's going to be really <laughs> hard to get him. But one of these days I sincerely hope to be, yeah, you definitely want to get some stories in there in some way. Well, I think your Ted talk is fabulous. I'm sorry. I didn't look at it. I didn't see it in my notes before the show, but I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it tonight because from what you've said about it now, when we were talking before, it sounds fabulous. And of course, you don't get to give a TED Talk unless you are fabulous. So people should look for Lewis Cheney TED Talk, right? Yeah, you can find it on my website. I've actually got it on there. So you can just click a link and go to it. But it was one of those things that it was an honor to get to stand in that red circle and have an audience like that and hold them in the palm of your hand. And you've never found a more supportive place. And that's the thing I think a lot of people who are scared of speaking in general, they think about the people they're talking to as their enemy. They're not. People want to see you succeed. They will support you. They want you to be better at this. And in that environment, particularly, I know there was another person that spoke and she changed everything at the last minute. And she wound up really rambling some. She was crying. She lost her place. And people in the audience are going, you've got this girl. We're right here with you. Oh, that's nice. And everybody was so supportive of her. And we all were, you know, it's like, go, because she was speaking from her heart. And that made a difference. Wow. I'd rather have somebody like that than somebody who's really, really polished and bores me to tears. Well, I mean, that said, though, I think communication is a skill. I guess there are naturals. There are people who are just 
naturally good at communicating. But even still, there are things to know and things to learn. You don't just become a New York City news anchor overnight, right? It takes a lot of practice. I've worked with a lot of reporters and anchors in my time, and you'd be surprised how many of them outside of that world have a difficult time speaking. Some do, not all, but some do. And they'll still have a lot of the filler, killer words, the ahs and the ums that we'll talk about in a minute. But it's not necessarily something that because they come from that background, they do get. You're absolutely right. It requires you to know how to make notes. It requires you to do your rehearsal. Don't just sit at your computer. I tell people, get off your butt, get on your feet, your feet no more. It goes back to the thing when I was a kid. Maybe I'm alone. I don't know if you guys did this. <laughs> I'd take a microphone. It could be a toothbrush or whatever. And I'd be singing like I was Elvis and doing stuff for the <laughs> records and all of this. Yes, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. But when you do this, do the same thing with your speech. Get up and rehearse it. Pretend you're standing in front of that crowd, see the faces out there and do it from top to bottom, not in pieces and time yourself. That way, you know, and you'll start having ideas. Things will come to you. Stories will come to you. You never would have thought of sitting in front of a computer. Oh, that's great advice. I think getting up and getting involved, uh, moving around, even being a little bit crazy sometimes, saying some crazy things or using some crazy intonations. Not that you have to be that crazy on stage, but it helps kind of expand the way you're seeing your speech and your presentation. So. Well, speaking about feedback, every time I started to sing, <laughs> everybody left the room and the cast started howling. <laughs> so I got definite feedback on that. I love that in your imagination, they everybody did that. When we first got married, I thought it was, she was doing a comedy routine. But... <laughs> I had people say, look, you have a nice voice. You've got to be able to sing. And then they go, oh. But we wanted to move on to those dreaded filler words. Now, thank goodness yeah. we have Noah Fleischman at iHeartMedia, who was our producer, who's extremely professional and cuts all that stuff out of our shows. So when you hear our podcast, you think everybody's like the top speaker in the world, right? Because he makes it sound so good, but you can't do that yourself. And it's very difficult or in front of an audience. So what do you do about those horrible filler words? I call them killer words. And here's why, because they kill the single most valuable asset you have. And that is your time and the time of the people you're speaking to. I once had a lady who was on TV. She recorded a segment talking about her nonprofit she was doing. She worked for them. Five-minute segment. I cut out the anchor, left just her speaking for three minutes and 11 seconds. In that three minutes and 11 seconds, she had over 70 of these. Ah, uh, um, yeah, but so like all that. I cut those down to just those. And it turned out to be 37 seconds worth. 37 seconds. Wow. And if you'd taken her to a half an hour speaking, she'd have lost six minutes. How do you get rid of them? Here you go, folks. Here's what you need to do. Stop, drop, pause. You know what's coming. Stop speaking. Just shush. Pause. A pause does two things. It allows you to find your place of what you're going to say and allows the audience to catch up to what you said. And a pause doesn't kill anybody. Silence is okay. Silence is golden because it is, hey, valuable. Then you just drop that word and go right into the next thing you're going to say. It's just that simple. And once you start hearing yourself, you will not be able to unhear yourself. Well, that's great advice. And I assume you suggest that people maybe record themselves, record their speech, a video, tape it on Zoom or something like that, if they're really serious about doing a good job, right? Because you have to have that feedback and you have to see what your audience is seeing. Sure. You've got to hear yourself. You've got to know what it's like. And I also tell people, and you talked about sounding crazy and acting crazy, doing things <laughs> on the platform when you're rehearsing. That's one of the things I tell people in your car as you're driving along. Read a sign. You know, it could be, we have cheeseburgers on sale for 25 cents. Read it and talk about it. Just start making up stuff about, well, we have this cheeseburger that comes from only the best beef from cattle in the heart of Texas, their Angus beef. Just start making things up. And as you do, you're free-flowing the speech. And as you're doing that, you're getting better at speaking. You're going to start automatically dropping a lot of these ahs and ums and things. Are you going to start hearing them more and start dropping them because of that? That is excellent advice. Training yourself how to speak without having to use filler words. Lewis solved the mystery for me because Richard says I talk more than him. And maybe I do, but he has way more ums, ahs, silence, repeat. So I think that we are verbally 
trying to get each other's attention for the same amount of time, I just get a lot more words in there than he does. Content matters. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. You know, it's not just the volume, it's the quality. Well, guys, I, you see this? Yeah. This ring I've got on my finger right here. For 27 years, I have learned when she speaks, I'll just shut up for a second and let her talk. I mean, that's the wisest thing I can do. Oh, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Well, I say that with love. I have a great wife, but it's yeah. one of those things. Yeah, when she talks, I'm like, I think I'll listen. Well, it is hard when people have long pauses or when they keep repeating themselves well, or when you, they have filler words. You have a very active mind. And so if there's a pause there, you're already on to the next thought. And so I, I just have to keep up with you. That's my challenge. And you pause because you're trying to remember what you're saying or think of how to phrase it, or I don't know what it is. We have very different ways of speaking. So what are the top <laughs> tricks? Like there's speaking speed, there's lack of filler words, there's the story that draws people in. What would you suggest most for people that really want to be effective? One of the things I'll tell you is finding the words that you can say that tickle their ear. One of those things that they'll come up with where you say something, give you an example I use in my course I talk about. Every year we did annual stories, we call them, where we go and we do this, people who go to the weight loss places, they, they go to a gym and they sign up for a year. And of course, they're going to use it for a month and never go back again. And when you go to talk to them, they all said the same thing. We're in it to win it. And I'm like, okay, that's, eh, thanks. We heard that last year. What if somebody instead said, I'm in it to lose it? Now you've just said something different. Now you've gotten my attention. You've twisted something around and made me listen. If you think about that, that's a soundbite. And that's what TV news operates on, is what media operates on. If you want to know what a soundbite is, look up famous quotes in history or wherever. All those are is soundbites taken from a speech or something that, that somebody did, and they stuck because it's good writing. And it's concise and it gets the point across. So I would tell people really practice on that. How can you say something really powerful in a very short period of time? Right. I mean, what comes to mind for me is it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We all feel that. We know exactly what that means. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country comes to mind for me. Right. Right. And you? What's for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> talking before about connection, right? Right. And you had a very great view on connecting with an audience during a meeting. Could you tell us what that was? When you're in there, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them to be a part of what you're talking about. You want to get what we call these me too moments. That's where people are nodding their head in agreement. So you're telling a story that maybe they've not lived exactly your story, but they've lived part of it. At the beginning of my TED talk, I started off talking about my mother who died from cancer and I had this little plastic glass and I was talking about this little plastic thing. And I'm saying, this is what my mother drank from the last drink she had and all of this. And I tell the story, which is a true story about my mom going into a coma and dying. And then as I'm talking, I deliberately dropped that cup. It hits the stage and it kind of bounces. You could hear the collective gasp from the audience. I had them because they knew somebody had had cancer. They'd been through that before. Maybe they lost somebody to it. I'm talking about a common theme we all had. So it's no longer my story. It's our story. But when I dropped the glass, I looked at him and I said, I'm going to let you off the hook. I just bought that three days ago. <laughs> I released the pressure. I released the pressure on them because I knew what I was doing to them. I knew I'm drawing them in and I know how much I'm piling on their heart. So it's knowing that rhythm and how to read that audience and know how you're going to lead that audience. So you design that speech rather so that it's something that's a roller coaster. It has its ups and has its downs. It can have something really powerful like that in it. It can have something very funny in it. It doesn't have to be just one thing. Give it a rhythm. And that's how you connect. You get people to tune into you and lean in. That's excellent. Well, how do people find you? What's your website? It's really simple. It's gettothedampoint.com. You'll find everything you need to know right there. That sounds great, Louis. So thank you very much for joining us. Louis Cheney, everybody. And he's going to get to the damn point, whether you like it or not. And you're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710. The Voice of New York will be back with more right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. 
enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now it's time for Kenya and her power move. Kenya? For power move tonight, we're going to be talking about Rosario Dawson. She's actually joined more than 200 franchise New Jersey new car and truck dealerships in their mission to raise over $2 million so far for kids who are sick and experiencing cancer, sickle cell anemia, and just really making sure that they have resources so they can be well and get better. What an amazing person. That's awesome. We're always happy to hear celebrities who take the time to try to do something positive. I think it's a little interesting that she decided to do it through car sales, but uh, whatever works, right? And if she's raised $2 million, I think that's incredible. I'm just curious. I wish I had a little more time to research the connection that she has, because I wonder why she chose to go with the New Jersey auto retailers. Yeah, I think part of it is probably the car companies give some money towards this. And the thing is, when you've got sick children, there's always research, there's always expenses, like St. Jude helps cover expenses, places like that. It's devastating. Absolutely. But If anybody needs a car and you're not in New Jersey, come to New Jersey, get your car, and you'll do some extra good. For sick children. So true, so true. And I just think it's great that people use their celebrity status to help raise awareness and do good things for other people. So shout out to Rosario Dawson. Absolutely. And now it's time for Fireside. So Elizabeth. Tell us what's been going on with Fireside. So for those of you who haven't heard this before, <laughs> uh, Fireside Directory is a video directory of small businesses. I started it right before the pandemic and interviewed business owners all through quarantine using Zoom to get content for it. And now I have a website and a YouTube channel for it, but I'm getting a new website because the website I started with wasn't the way I want it to look. Always shooting higher. (laughs) Well, I have a certain idea, but during the time that I've been doing it, Richard and I have been brainstorming and come up with different ideas around it. I'm a patent agent. I have been working on a patent application for, and I'm so happy to say I finished the patent application over the weekend and I'm going to have Richard take one final look and then file it with the USPTO. It's a provisional patent, which means we can make changes for a year before we file the utility patent. But it also means that now I'll be patent pending this week and free to talk about things in it without worrying about somebody being able to steal it from me. Yeah. And that's beneficial about patents. People feel protected and they're more open with their discussions. So having confidentiality agreements is important for that. Also having a patent on file sometimes for some people gives a certain extra level of security and watch out for any invention stealers because we're coming after you if you violate my wife's patent. She's going to be at the top of the heap when it comes to shooting down bad Well, guys. I do have a good patent attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so on to our first presenter, Akila Qureshi. I think she just came up with like this incredible idea for subscription boxes for children. It's called Little Global Citizens. Tell us all about it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. And um, first, Lewis, please count the number of times I say, um. (laughs) (laughs) Or don't. (laughs) Let me know later so I can be devastated. There we go, number one. So my name is Akila, and I'm the co-founder of Little Global Citizens. We are a children's subscription box company that teaches kids about cultures of the world, one country at a time. And I created Little Global Citizens to help foster open-mindedness and global and cultural awareness in young children by helping them to build an understanding of the world and a love for the people in it. 
So every two months, we send families an exciting subscription box to their doorstep that teaches their child about one new country in every box. Kenya, I know you have a question about this. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, what's in the box from Kenya? That is fabulous. So the way that we bring all the boxes to life is by highlighting the most important aspects of each culture through crafts and screen-free games and recipes and music and storybooks, all things that are different tools for kids to learn and really absorb new information. In particular, in the Kenya box, the most important thing that we always do is talk to people from each culture that we're learning about. So in the Kenya box, we were very fortunate to speak to the head of the Maasai organization, and he gave us so much insight into the day of the life of a child from a Maasai tribe in Kenya. So we teach kids how to make a traditional Kenyan mask. We teach them what it's like to go to school in Kenya. They get to build their own little boma huts. They get to taste spicy mango and they get to read a beautiful storybook called Mama Panya's Pancakes, which is a very sweet story about caring and kindness in your community. So no pun intended on the sweet story. We like everything to have a touch of sweetness and love. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. So how were you inspired to do this? It sounds like a great project. After 15 years in the advertising community, my husband and I wanted to take a break and go and travel around the world. And the American vacation system of two weeks at a time wasn't really cutting it. So we quit our jobs and we backpacked around the world for 13 months And everywhere we went from Indonesia to Senegal to Laos to Cuba, we were just blown away by how kind and hospitable people were. But the resounding feeling that we came away with was that outside of these surface differences, everybody is just the same. We're so much more similar than we are different. And fast forwarding six years to having my own kids, I wanted to make sure that they understood those values themselves. I now, as a parent of two little boys, know that it's very difficult to travel with little kids. So I thought if I (laughs) put them in a backpack and travel around the world with them, I will bring the world to them. And so that was kind of the genesis of how I started coming up with this idea. Just before we uh, jump in and, and let Lewis ask a question, I once asked the psychiatrist, do you think people are more similar or more different? Because here's somebody who listens to a lot of people's problems at a deep level and really has a chance to see a lot of different people. He says he thinks people are about 70% the same and about 30% different, which I thought was a really interesting perspective. Lewis? I'll tell you, first of all, Akila, I love this. What you said there, I love things that tickle my ear when I hear a good saying and bring the world to them. That is so incredible. So tell me this. What's it been like to see the reaction of these kids? Tell me about the reaction that you've seen or heard about these kids are having to the boxes you're sending. From the kids' perspective, I think it's very interesting that children are having so much fun with the stories and the crafts and the games that are inside the box. They just think they are, you know, the whole world's so open to kids. You can teach them about culture or music, and it's just all so fun and exciting. The reactions from the parents are some of the most interesting things. They say, my child now will stop and empathize with somebody else because they have learned to see the world through a perspective that is not their own. Or we have a family that's been with us for two years and they said that the comments that their child brought into the school has actually encouraged their whole school to do a social good project where they're going out and bringing donations in for children less fortunate than themselves. So I think it's often the reactions from the parents that are even more amazing than the reactions from the kids. Kids learn so much and they don't realize how much they're learning and they don't realize how much their perspective is being opened until they're much older. Just to amplify a little bit off of that, I spent some time in Europe and I went to school there and met kids from all sorts of different cultures. And it was really eye-opening to hear other people's opinions of the United States. You hear other opinions from different places. I always enjoyed hearing those other perspectives. And then just- You enjoyed that? Absolutely. I think it-, it Were they it, positive? I mean, I'm... No, for the most part, they, well, they were mixed. Certain things about our country that I never thought about, or they dislike certain things about our country that I never thought about. So it was always a mixed bag, just like people in our country, but they just see it differently. And so I do think that that's a great little piece of education. If you can bring that to children here, I think you're doing something really valuable. 
it's hard to learn about other countries and it's hard the way that what we're exposed to now about other countries. We were watching this show filmed in Russia and it portrays Russia completely different. It's a Netflix series. It portrays it completely different than our perception of Russia. And you actually went to these countries though, and you're working with people from these countries. So it's a more, I think, realistic cultural experience, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to really teach kids about another culture is to work with people from the cultures. You have to be authentic and something that we always try and convey is that you are learning from people you're not just learning about them they have a lot to teach you their own cultural traditions and heritage there are things you can learn from and those all help children's creativity skills and empathy skills respect but it also helps them foster a confidence because then they start to understand their own place in the world it was very interesting i thought when i started coming up with this i thought it would be a nice to have what a nice thing to teach my children but as i started researching more i discovered that global awareness and cultural insight are actually the two skills that are most sought after by ceos and hiring managers right now as companies and everything is so intrinsically linked together across the world. If you are senior management in any type of company, you are going to be working with people who have very strong cultural differences from you. And that's a really important skill to work with people, understand them, understand what motivates them and how you can be a better manager for them. So I thought that was very interesting. And these are not really skills that are taught in schools. So as parents, if you're looking for your kids to have that great step up, you have to go off and identify a way to teach them those skills themselves. And, you know, hopefully it'll instill a curiosity at a young age for different cultures. And then as children get older and they may decide to explore other countries and get a taste for travel and learning about other cultures. Well, and I think this is a very creative way to do it with the subscription box. I'm sure the kids, I don't know how often they come, like once a month or something, I'm sure the kids are waiting for these and are so excited when they get there. They are. We send boxes every two months and then families that want more boxes can order our individual boxes. We have a list of countries that are available for immediate shipping. Some of the best photos I get and videos I get are kids running to the doorstep, ripping their boxes open, (laughs) everything out and saying, what's this? Which is my country? And kind of building on their repertoire of global awareness. I mean, it's amazing what five and six and seven-year-olds know about the world and their parents write to us and say, I learned so much about Thailand. And now Catalina is asking us to book a flight to Bangkok. (laughs) (laughs) This must have been a godsend during quarantine. That's all I can say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, from a timeliness perspective, not only are kids stuck at home, they need connection. And if they're not physically out there in the world as much as they normally are, this makes them feel like they are connected in the world. And because we curate and prepare everything from a parent's perspective, you can just open the box and there's three, four, five hours worth of fun that you didn't prepare. And you can just enjoy with your kid and have quality screen free time. Excellent. So what is the name of your website? We are little-global-citizens.com. And if you want to see inside the box or you want to see nice photos of kids enjoying their boxes and what they're learning, look for us on Instagram. We are Instagram backslash Little Global Citizens. Listeners, you are listening to WOR 710 Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. If you have missed the show so far and are just tuning in, don't worry. Our podcast comes out tomorrow on all the major podcast channels. And if you have never heard Lewis Cheney, he's a TEDx speaker. You need to go back and listen to the podcast and to our presenters so far, because this has been amazing. Yes, but- our, our, I just want to remind our listeners that our podcast is ranked <clears throat> number 163 in Great Britain. Hey, at least it's on the charts. And I mean, <laughs> 125 in Honduras. So We're to Honduras, we love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> so anyway, our next presenter, I can't even tell you how blown away I am by what she has done. It is so ingenious. Her name is Julie Rivard. I'm going to let her tell you about it. The name of her company is iRead. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. We built a platform that allows teachers to present their curriculum and specific assignments to kids through video games that they love. So instead of just gamifying an educational program, we actually use the habit formation of video games to get kids to learn and practice learning, specifically focused on reading. So give us some examples of how that would work. Yeah, I'll use our game Dreamscape as an example. So Dreamscape is built to be a strategy game, much like um, Clash of Clans for those out there who might know that game. And so kids build a base and they can train troops and they can go visit their friends' bases and battle their friends. And Everything in the game can be done and earned, but only through reading passages and answering corresponding comprehension questions that align with their curriculum. And so teachers are able to actually assign assignments through the video game and uh, track their progress, uh, see what reading level they're at. And what's really cool about the platform is it uses um, engineering to be able to adapt the content to the student's specific level of ability because they're all unique. So it's a really neat platform. So they read the content, maybe they answer questions, and then based on that, they get to play more of the game. Or is the content incorporated into the game too? The Uh, content layer is separate from the gaming layer. And we did that intentionally so we could bolt on many games. Different kids like different games. They get attracted to different games. And so the same content can be presented through a strategy game or an idle game or a puzzle game, you know, whatever a child likes to play. So can you win things like a battle axe or something if you answer the questions, right? (laughs) That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So as kids are, (laughs) as kids are achieving in the game, they win um, really cool avatars. They win the, the opportunity to go battle their friends. And that's how the platform works. It's completely free for teachers and students and parents to use. But if uh, students want to access really extra special avatars, they can buy a membership. And so we work very much like video games do. Wow. That's I mean, this has got to be a teacher's dream during the pandemic, because I'm just thinking they should add it to that patent we talked about earlier (laughs) (laughs) as a way to increase attention during meetings. Obviously, if they can attach meeting content to video games, they'll probably get at least the younger people more attentive. Right. So how long have you been doing this? I'm just wondering if you have any data. I know we talked about data earlier. Have you had time to gather data yet? Oh, yeah. Well, we did. We started back in 2014 and we did research and development to get a curriculum in place that would be highly effective at getting kids to be strongly literate. And we released our first game in 2016. um, And then our most recent game was released in 2019. So we've got quite a bit of data. We have about three and a half million students playing in 160 countries right now. So what we can see, what I think has been most interesting has, has been watching how engaged they are in the play, which is leading to more reading. So we see kids who are playing the platform read about six times more than kids who don't play, who, who aren't playing the game. And that practice has just led to a huge amount of success in their reading scores. So one of the things teachers can do in the game is they can assign a test prep for standardized tests, depending on which state they're in. And they can measure the success that kids are recognizing through those test prep assignments. So yeah, it's a quite a deep platform. It aligns very much with what teachers are doing. And yet you're right, it was a blessing during the pandemic and even beyond because trying to get kids engaged in learning when they have so many competing choices right now is really a challenge. So we're just trying to swap out the junk food health food when it comes to gaming sort of an advanced version of bribing your kids to do their chores (laughs) (laughs) i have never done that (laughs) (laughs) louis do you have any questions or comments what are your thoughts here yeah quick question for you didn't you mentioned earlier that you have children correct four kids yeah have they done this what kind of things have they been through this i can't imagine if you have kids you're not guinea pigging them with what you're doing so (laughs) what was kind of their reaction to everything 
My second child was the inspiration for this whole company. I had been in technology for about 10 years prior and um, not in education at all. I wasn't interested in education. Actually, I didn't enjoy school as a kid because I was kind of labeled a non-academic kid um, from an early age. But he struggled with learning. And as a parent, I didn't know how to support him. And I just saw how much focus kids were giving to video games. And I was thinking that practice can be leveraged for good. I just know it. You know, we're saying that habit formation is bad. And it can be, but if we're using it for strong habits and learning, it can be fantastic. So unfortunately, by the time I got the product to market, <laughs> my, my older kids were, were well through that. But uh, yeah, the younger kids have been forced to be guinea pigs all the way through. That's that is phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. What are your plans for the future? I mean, where do you want to take this and where do you see it going? Well, I was really interested to hear what Akila was doing. One of the things we noticed early on was the curriculum is not sufficient to be able to represent kids from diverse populations. And, and it's just not inclusive. So we just finished a big DEI audit of our content and we're starting to um, invite authors to create content on our platform that we can develop questions for so that we have content. We like to call it windows and mirrors. A mirror is content where you see yourself and a window is where you might be able to peek into the life of somebody else. And we want every child to be able to have the opportunity to have mirrors and windows through our content. I think the bigger thing there, and when we and when we get into patents and and kind of uh, the technology underneath it, is we use machine learning to understand students' learner profiles and then deliver them the right content at the right time. And if we're using traditional data sets built on traditional curriculum to understand learner pathways, they're biased from the beginning. So. What we've had to do is kind of roll way, way, way back and look at the development of our curriculum so that we can make sure that it is diverse, that it is representative of lots of different kids so that we have the best possible data from which to move forward in our engineering. Well, you are really revolutionizing education in the world, it sounds like, not just America, but the whole world. I love this for reading. My son played a very low-end version of a game compared to this for math, and I do think it helped him with his math skills. So do you have plans to go into math and maybe other social studies, other areas of learning? Well, I like to say to people when I get this question all the time and reading, if you're thinking about reading, it's not just the basic reading skills, it's comprehension and comprehension covers everything. If you don't have comprehension, the ability to predict, to synthesize, to analyze, you can't do math, you can't do social sciences, you can't do history. And and so we offer curriculum in all different subject matter, but it's all comprehension based because we want to make sure that kids are, are able to read that and understand it and then be able to predict or analyze or even just tell you who the main character is. So it's cross curriculum, but the focus is comprehension and helping kids make sure that they can understand and be critical thinkers based on that understanding. That's amazing. So how much investment does the company make in curriculum development as opposed to back-end programming, coordinating with the video games? And then what is your relationship between the video game manufacturers and distributors, I guess, and your company insofar as getting licenses for these games, et cetera? Well, we build all of our own games right now. So it's Uh about a third content curriculum, a third game development, and a third just regular development to create teacher tools like the assignment features and those types of things. But uh, yeah, no, everything we've built has been built in-house. In the future, there is a potential to plug other games in. But for now, we really want to make sure that we are able to measure the success of our games really effectively. And, and for that reason, we want to own it, at least for the next few years. Makes perfect sense. So who's buying this primarily and where do they find you and where can they buy it? Our main users are teachers in the classroom. But like I said, it's completely free. We didn't want to have any friction for teachers to be able to use this product. Kids play the product and then we get kids ask their parents. (laughs) If you're a parent, you've often had a a child ask you for some kind of video game or iTunes card or something. So kids ask their parents and parents buy memberships. Parents can set up accounts at playdreamscape.com. Teachers go to playdreamscape.com. You set up for free. And then if your child really enjoys it, you can buy a membership. That sounds great. Thank you very much, Julia. We look forward to your continued success and seeing what you're going to be doing in the future. Listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest, Louis Cheney. If you've missed any of this show, our podcast comes out tomorrow on all the major podcast sites. 
Go back and listen to it. You will not be sorry. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. You know, wouldn't it be cool to be a kid in 2021? (laughs) Well, I see the pluses and the minuses, quite honestly. (laughs) But if you're looking at the stuff our presenters brought us, I think there's a definite wow there. There definitely is. So who was on the show? Well, I'll go through in case you missed it. And if you did miss it, our podcast comes out tomorrow, as we always say. But our guest was Lewis Cheney. He is the founder of Get to the Damn Point, consultant, producer, director. I think I'm going to be able to get to the damn point far more often after hearing what Lewis had to say. I'll tell you, we're going to be watching our ums. Anyway, <laughs> um, you can find Lewis at his website, gettothedampoint.com. And then we had Power Move. It was with Sarah Dawson by Kenya Gibson. Kenya is our iHeart media maven who helps us with the show. And you can find her at Kenya Gibson, Gibson with the P at iHeartMedia.com. Kenya is a great creator and she has a fantastic team behind her at iHeartRadio. They've helped our firm with the digital marketing for a long time and they've produced fantastic results for us. So I just needed to put a plug in for them. And then we had Akila Qureshi, who has Little Global Citizens, www.little-global-citizens.com. So if you have kids, you can sign them up to get a subscription box every two months that teaches them through activities about other countries from the perspective of people in those countries who help develop these products. It's really amazing. And the feedback on this has been fabulous. And then Julia Rivard with iRead, put a woman in tech, you come up with the most innovative things you're ever going to see, right? (laughs) You can find her product at www.playdreamscape.com. Basically, kids have to learn how to read and comprehend before they can play the next part of the game or get goodies or all that stuff. So it takes video games that kids love to play and they have to learn to be able to play. And she spells I read E-Y-E-R-E-A-D. I would encourage you if you have kids or grandkids or teachers to go to these websites and look at what these people have because it's truly innovative and it's next generation. So before we sign off, Lewis, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? It's really simple. Pay attention to what you're doing when you're speaking, when you're presenting, when you're having to be on social media, when you're having to be virtually. Really look at what you're doing and make sure that you're providing the best you can for somebody in the quickest, most concise way that really gets their attention and makes them draw into your message. Well, I think that was said very concisely. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Passage to Profit. As Elizabeth said, we're available on podcasts, wherever podcasts can be found. And before I go, I'd like to thank everyone who makes this podcast a reality. Alicia Morrissey, our program assistant, our video editor at Chatterboss, and our producer, Noah Fleischman at iHeartRadio. So on behalf of us and the whole Passage to Profit team, thank you so much for listening. We love you all. And we'll be back next week with another exciting episode of Passage to Profit. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You're listening to WOR, The Voice of of New York.